0: Lake Point family, and uh, if you guys got your Bibles, head over to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, uh, while you're turning there, I do just wanna give a quick update. Um, as of this week, uh, my family has been in town for three months, and we are uh, excited about that, man. It's been a really good transition in. Thank you. Yeah, man, it's been awesome. Um, the most common question is, that we get whenever we uh, meet y'all uh, out, you know, in the city or at the grocery store is, you know, uh, how are you doing? You know, how's the transition? Are you being welcomed? And uh, I just want to extend a thank you. Uh, we cannot imagine um, being more welcomed and uh, and loved by the the church body um, as we have in these first three months. Um, avalanche of thank you notes, welcome notes, that kind of thing. Um, I do want to show you my favorite one that I've received. So real quick, before I toss this on screen. What you're getting ready to see is a homework assignment from a young boy uh, that was asked questions about his pastor on his homework assignment. And, and here's, uh, here, this, is, this is a real thing. He said, my pastor's name is Josh. I see my pastor at Starbucks, he preaches. I can help him by not farting in church. Okay. <laughs> And let me just say, all those are true things. They are, those are all true things. And so, uh, yeah, just wanna thank everybody just for uh, the amazing welcome from the, uh, you know, the aged to the seven-year-old. Thank you so much, all right. Well, um, if you are new, my name's Josh and uh, I'm new too. And uh, it's just an honor to be with you. Um, And you picked a good week to be here because we're on week two of a series that we're just calling Dangerous Prayers. And here's where this comes from. Uh, Each week we're looking at a prayer in the Bible that it's almost like um, you have to be willing to pray this prayer to go to the next level with God. And, And if you don't, if you hold back, if you're unwilling to pray with really a reckless abandon, then what you're gonna find is that some age in your life or some age in your spiritual maturity You're gonna stall out and you'll you'll get stuck. And so each week we're looking at one of those. Now, the one that we're looking at today, um, I was on a plane ride with Pastor Steve earlier this week, and he asked, um, you know, Hey Josh, what's a prayer that you're preaching this week? And I told him that the prayer that I'm preaching today is is break me. And he thought for a second. He said, I think I'd rather spend two weeks on search me (laughs) from that, because this is just even me saying it. You know, the prayer break me, God. Um, That doesn't sound like something that anyone would ever wanna pray. I, w- I want you to see why that's not true and that you, you do wanna pray this, okay? So if you got your Bibles, pick up with me in Psalm 51. This Psalm was written by a guy named David, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to that here in a second, uh, but pick up with me in verse 15, and watch what David prays. He says, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Now listen, my sacrifice, O oh God, is a... Broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Okay? Now, let me explain this really quick uh, what's going on here. Years ago, I was at a, a conference, and a, uh, you know, a very well-known pastor um, walked out on stage, and he was kind of the main event. Everyone was there to see him, and the room was just like the one I'm standing in right now. It's full of thousands of people, and they were all ministry leaders or aspiring ministry leaders, everybody in the room. And he walked out, and the first thing he did is he looked out at the crowd, and he said, Do you want God to use you greatly? And everyone you know, just burst into applause, right? And uh, and as soon as they stopped, he raised his voice and he said, do you want God to use you greatly? And the applause was just even a little more vigorous, that kind of thing. And then when they stopped, he did it a third time and he said, do you want God to use you greatly? And the entire room burst into a standing ovation. There was whistling, clapping, shouting, cheering, everything in the room. And then as soon as the noise died down, he looked out at the crowd and then he said, then God must break you deeply. And that's the exact same sound that fell over that room. It was right there. Everyone just sort of, a silence fell over the room. But I just wanna point something out to you. He was saying something that is the pattern of the Bible. If you look at everyone in the Bible that was used the greatest by God and went the farthest with God, what you're gonna notice is that God always does a breaking work in them before he does a blessing work through them. He always does that. Um, in fact, I don't have time. This could be the entire sermon. It's simply me tracing that pattern in the Bible of how God breaks a man or breaks a woman before he uses a man or uses a woman. Uh, Think about, um, I'll give you a couple examples. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're thrown into the fire. Let me ask you this question. Did God save them from the fire? No, he saved them in the fire. And that's what God does when he breaks you. Is it's a work of revival, a work of spiritual awakening he does in your life where he may not save you from a trial. He meets you in the trial and he does a work in you before he does a work through you. I'll give you another one. Think about the prophet Hosea. Before God commissioned him to go and preach to the nation of Israel, he commanded him to go and marry a prostitute that he knew would be unfaithful to Hosea. He did a breaking work before he did a blessing work. Think about Moses. Before Moses uh, rose to power, led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, Moses uh, was a murderer and was outcast from his nation, his family, and his place of power and belonging. Uh, This pattern continues. Think about Jacob. Before Jacob ever became, got the new name Israel, which means prince, uh, uh, prince of God, before that ever happened, Jacob wrestled with God and God touched his hip and he broke him before he did a blessing work through him. I'm um, Think about the apostle Peter. Before Jesus built the church on the foundation of Peter, the rock, Peter denied Jesus three times and then he quote, went out and wept bitterly. A breaking happened before a blessing. Um, Think about the Apostle Paul. Before Paul traveled all over Europe and uh, Eastern Asia, and Northern Africa, planting churches everywhere, doing this great work for God. Paul was a persecutor of the church and God gave him a thorn in the flesh that the Bible says was to keep him from becoming too elated in his spiritual work. A breaking happened before the blessing. And then think about Jesus. You know, we don't think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Every single time we take communion, we remember what Jesus said right before he went to the cross and accomplished our salvation. Remember what he said? He said, this is my body, which is broken. Broken for you. A brokenness had to take place before a blessing. And then David, right here in this psalm, what's he pray, he says, a broken heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Now, really quick, because some of you, if if you don't understand what I'm about to say in the next 30 seconds, there's something that you may be going, now wait a second, and you'll get tripped up, okay? If you have your thinking cap on and you were listening to me last week, you right now may be saying, but wait a second, Josh. Just last week, you said God will never punish us for our sins. So how in the world are you gonna say now that God might do a breaking work in our lives? Well, listen, there's something that every mature Christian has to come to understand at some point in your spiritual journey. And it's this, there's a difference between these three categories. There's a difference between punishment, discipline, and consequences. You have to come to understand that. So let me help you out with this real quick. Here's what punishment is. The goal of punishment is retribution, it's when you're being paid back for a wrong that you did. You committed a crime, you receive a sentence. Retribution, that's punishment, okay? Now watch this. Discipline is different than punishment. Punishment, it's a judge that, punish, that punishes. Discipline comes from a father that loves. Discipline is a loving attempt to mold our character. The goal of discipline isn't retribution. The goal of discipline is formation, Okay, now watch this. Now, there's a third category. A third category uh, is the category of consequences. And consequences, these are the natural results of bad decisions that you make. So, for instance, if you sleep with your girlfriend and she gets pregnant and then you say, oh, God is punishing me. Hey, bro, uh, that's not punishment. That's biology. That's how that works. Okay. Uh, Or if you do sloppy work and you lose your job. That's not punishment, that's a consequence. If you cheat on your spouse, and you lose the trust of your husband or your wife, that's not punishment, that's a consequence. Now listen really close to what I'm getting ready to say. Believers in Christ will suffer the consequences of their sins, and sometimes God will use those consequences to discipline them, but they will never suffer punishment because Jesus was punished fully in our place so that all that's left for us is mercy. There is a difference between punishment, if you get a clap, you gotta commit, okay? You gotta go for it, that's it, that's it. There you go, okay? You're gonna clap, you gotta commit. There's a difference between punishment, consequences, and this one. Now listen, God breaking us falls under the category of discipline. Now here's what's happened. I need to explain what it means for God to break us. Because some of you are in a season right now where this is exactly what God is doing in your life and you don't know that this is what's happening. So I wanna help you identify it, okay? Here's what it means for God to break us. When God comes into our life and does a breaking work, he does something that strips us of our self-reliance. That's what it is. What happens is God loves you so much that he is unwilling to watch his children be sourced by something that cannot supply. So he'll do something in your life that makes it impossible for you to look to yourself for power and that forces you to rely on the power of God. You see, a lot of people, um, they think that brokenness is sadness. That's what they think. But think about that. We know that can't be true because of this psalm. David in this psalm prayed, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He said, let these bones that you have broken rejoice. Did you know this? Did you know that you can be simultaneously broken and happy? In fact, in the Bible, brokenness and happiness are correlated. Okay, so listen. The outcome of brokenness in the Bible isn't depression, it's dependence. The outcome of brokenness in the Bible isn't sadness. It's neediness. The cry of a broken heart before God isn't, I'm sad. It's, God, I can't. God, I need you. Okay, now here's how he's gonna do it, all right, to help you figure out what's happening in your life. There is a way that all throughout the Bible, God always does the same thing to break you. He does it in the same way. Here's what's really interesting. The psalm that we're reading today, Psalm 51, it's one of the only psalms in the entire Bible where we know exactly what was happening when the psalm was written, okay? The psalm, I'm gonna give you a truncated version of this story, the psalm was written by a guy named David. Now here's what you need to know about David. David would be like if you took Bono, Conor McGregor, and Billy Graham and mashed them into one person, okay? So very accomplished uh, you know, fighter and military uh, leader, uh, incredible musician, and incredible spiritual leader and statesman. Uh, he was the king of Israel, all those th- three things rolled into one person. Um, And the Bible says that David was, quote, a man after God's own heart. Now, here's what that means. That doesn't mean David was perfect, as you're getting ready to see. What it means is that David felt what God felt, and he loved what God loved, and he hated what God hated, and he saw what God saw. But at the end of David's life, um, he made a mistake that God used to break him very deeply. Uh, David had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, and she became pregnant, Okay, now that was a problem because Bathsheba was the wife of one of the military leaders in David's army, a man named Uriah. Now what David tried to do to cover up the adultery he'd had with Bathsheba is he called Uriah home from the battlefront and he tried to get him to sleep with his wife to cover up what David had done, okay, but Uriah was such an honorable man, such an honorable, you know, military captain, that he refused uh, to enjoy a privilege at home that his men couldn't enjoy on the battlefield, and so he did not sleep with Bathsheba, his wife, and so David was forced, as he was trying to cover up his sin, uh, David was forced uh, to commit some other sins to cover up that sin and he uh, gave a command to all of his other military leaders to put Uriah in the front of the hottest battle, and as soon as the enemy charged, to withdraw from Uriah so he'd be struck down. And that's exactly what happened. So at that point, what you have is David's committed adultery, he's tried to cover his sin, he's committed murder, and then for the next few years of David's life, he systematically tried to suppress and cover up the sin that he'd committed. Later, because God loved David so much, God revealed to a man named Nathan, who was like David's pastor, what David had done. And Nathan confronted David in front of his court in the palace about his sin. And in that moment, David was broken to the core as the wickedness of what he'd done was revealed to him. And that is when David wrote Psalm 51. Now, there's something really interesting about this psalm that you may not have noticed the first time you read it. David prays something really weird. He prays in verse seven. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be water in the snow. Now, here's a question for you Bible scholars. Why did David pray purge me with hyssop? Um, If you go read, if you just Wikipedia search hyssop, you're not gonna find anything interesting. It's just a normal green plant produces white flowers. But you Bible scholars will know this. Uh, The plant hyssop is only mentioned two other times in the entire Bible, and both of them are very significant. Uh, One was when the angel of death passed through Egypt, um, bringing judgment on uh, everyone and taking their firstborn. And God commanded the children of Israel to take the blood of a slain lamb. Does that sound familiar? And put it on the doorposts of their houses. And everywhere that the angel of judgment passed when he saw the blood of the slain lamb, he passed over that house and he did not visit on it judgment for its sins. But do you guys remember that God specifically commanded what type of plant the Israelites were supposed to use to smear the blood of the slain lamb on their doorposts? Do you remember what it was? Hyssop. Uh, I'll give you one other one. Only other time in the Bible it's mentioned in the book of Leviticus whenever a leper was diagnosed with a skin disease and he was declared ceremonially unclean. If God did a healing work in that man's life and made him clean again, he was supposed to go present himself to the priest and then that priest would take uh, cleansing water and he would splash it on that leper as a symbol of him having been cleansed. And the Bible curiously specifically prescribes what type of plant the priest was supposed to use for that ordinance of cleansing, and it was hyssop. Now, what in the world is going on here? Okay, well, both of those things, they're pictures that point forward to Jesus. His blood spread on us by hyssop. It purges us from the guilt of our sin. The cross takes away the penalty of our sin, and the resurrection can make all things new in your life. Now listen, what am I saying? Why am I telling y'all this? Well listen, here's what happened in David's life when God broke him. The weight of David's sin was more than his own strength so he had to look to a source outside of himself for righteousness. He had to look for God. That is how God will always break you. He will give you something that is more than you can handle so that you're forced to depend on him. Okay, now um, can I share with you uh, something that drives me crazy? Hey, this is like one of my Christian pet peeves. Um, whenever you go in, uh, through a really hard time and you share with a, another Christian that you're going through a tough time, every now and then, uh, you know, a w- very well-meaning uh, but foolish Christian, they'll, they'll put their hand on your shoulder and they'll say, "Oh, brother," because that's how they talk, you know. "Oh, brother," you know. "Oh, sister," you know, whatever it is, and then they'll look you right in the eyes and they'll say this. They'll say, "Just remember, God." will never give you more than you can handle. And whenever they say that, I always wanna say, will you please shut up? That's what what I wanna say. I don't say it, but that's what I wanna say. Now listen, here's why that drives me crazy, because the Bible says literally the opposite of that. The Bible says that God will certainly give you more than you can handle so that you're forced to depend on him. That's how he'll break you. He may give you a pain that you can't endure so that you have to depend on his strength like Job. He may allow a sin or a temptation in your life that you cannot conquer, so you have to depend on the sufficiency of his grace like Paul. He may call you to something greater than your ability so that you have to depend on his power like Moses. He may allow a betrayal or desertion in your life that you can't take, so that you have to depend on his love like David. He may allow a season of sadness or depression in your life so that you have to depend on the joy of the Lord as your strength like Nehemiah. He will do that for you, and he will do that for you because he loves you, because you'll never realize that God is all you need until God is all you have. He will do that for you because he loves you, and that, that's how he'll break you. Now, here's a big question. Why would anybody be crazy enough to pray that? Why would anybody be crazy enough to pray that, God break me, well here's why. If you look all throughout the Bible, what you're gonna see is this same pattern. Your greatest ministry will come from your deepest misery in life. That's always what happens. Your greatest misery will produce your greatest misery ministry. There is always, watch this, there's always a correlation between crushing and anointing, brokenness, and blessing. Those two things always go together. You never get one without the other. Okay, now here's what I noticed all week. I was like, "Man, how I, I want a visual. I want to be able. I want them to be able to see how this works." Now, this is a much safer visual illustration than last week. <laughs> Let me just say that. But I do. I have a visual illustration, and here, here's what I mean. What I've learned is that everybody wants God's anointing. By the way, if, if you're kind of new, kicking the tires on Christianity, uh, whenever God does a great work of ministry with somebody in the Bible, what He does is He'll place His anointing on their life, and He'll so pour out a special power on them, just a, 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 a unique presence of the spirit will just rest on a person for a particular ministry. That's the anointing of God. Now, here's what I figured out. Everybody wants the anointing of God, but we tend to forget how you get that anointing, where it comes from, okay, so, so track with me really quick. Um, in the Bible, uh, the symbol of anointing in the Bible is always the same, it's oil. Whenever somebody's anointed by God, they're anointed with oil, and that's a symbol that the presence and power of God's resting on them in a unique way. Now, you guys may know this, but do you know where, uh, where oil comes from? It comes from olives, the most vile substance known to man. That's what these are. So I'm not gonna eat one of these. I'm, not, I'm not, definitely not gonna do that. But uh, do you guys remember this? Uh, oil, symbol of anointing, do you know how oil is produced? Okay, it comes from olives, and here's how it happens. You've gotta, they've gotta be put into, this is right here, this is an olive press. And the olives have to go into the olive press and they've got to be pressed down. And then through the work of the press, what happens is they're pressed down and they're broken apart. There's a crushing that has to happen to the olives. And as they're crushed and they're broken, then that brokenness and that crushing results in in oil, the symbol of anointing. Now, what I figured out all these years is that everybody wants this, but nobody wants that. And guys, what you understand is you can't get this without that, you can't get the anointing without the crushing. The brokenness is what produces the blessing. Misery is what brings us out into our greatest ministry. And you guys understand, some of you are in this spot right now where maybe you're unsatisfied and unhappy with your spouse. Maybe right now you're unhappy with your current job or maybe it's your health. You might be really unhappy with where your kids are in life and what's going on with them. Maybe the season of life that you're in. Has it ever occurred to you that you might not be where you are by coincidence but by providence? Has it ever occurred to you that maybe there's a reason for your season, there's purpose in that pain, that blessing is going to come from the breaking that is happening in your life, because guys, here's what always happens in the Bible, it's always the same. Your mess will be the thing from which comes your ministry, your trial will become your testimony, and your pain will become your platform. That's what will happen to you, A breaking has to come before the blessing. Now, I want you to see an example of this, okay? And so, um, will you guys, I want you to hear an example of this. Will you guys please help me welcome to the stage uh, my special guest for a few minutes, my wife, Jana. Will you help me welcome her really quick? Come on up, that's it, come on up. (laughs) They like you.
1: (laughs) You. <laughs> now,
0: let me just say, uh, Jana is very nervous right now. Now, can I just coach you guys on what to do with a uh, communicator that's nervous? What you do to encourage an, a, a nervous communicator is if they say something awesome, you break into spontaneous applause. Or if they say something great, you say, amen, sister, except if it's me. Don't say amen, sister, to me, that, that kind of thing. Well, Jana, uh, let's do this um, real quick, because uh, you, first of all, you're prettier than the special guest that I had on stage last week. Thank you. <laughs> and um, just, It's our first time with you on stage, yeah. and so just so people get to know you a little bit, just real quick, uh, favorite movie?
1: Uh, easily Pride and Prejudice. Pride
0: and Prejudice, that's yeah. right. Uh, favorite, uh, favorite way to spend an evening?
1: Laughing with friends over tea.
0: Okay, what I always say about Jana is she has the soul of an elderly British woman. Uh, That's what I say. That
1: is surprisingly accurate. Yes, that's
0: true. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, babe, um, you had a season of your life Mm -hmm. when, looking back, we can see that God was breaking you.
1: Yeah.
0: Would you mind talking about that?
1: Yeah. Um, A few years ago, I went through a season of what it felt like at the time—the death of two dreams. Um, Josh spoke a a few weeks ago a a little bit about our struggle with infertility. And um, we always knew that we wanted to adopt one day. That was always a part of some of our earliest conversations while we were engaged. Um, but then as we started to see the years pass after we were married and we still didn't have biological children, people began asking us questions.
0: Oh wait, and can I just say make something really clear? It was not because of a lack of attraction to her husband, right? Is <laughs> that it? Right. Let me, you're just getting, make that, you're let me just make that real clear. Okay, that, I there don't you go. think that was the problem. <laughs> okay, good. You keep going.
1: <laughs> okay, sorry, you caught me off guard. <laughs> Outwardly, I was always able to give people um, the right, faith-filled answers, um, and I meant them. But also, inside, I was I was a mess, and I was just struggling in my pain. And I continued to see the, the years pass, one right after another. And um, I started to, to grow in feeling resentment, and anger, and bitterness, because I couldn't understand what God was doing in my life at the time. Um, I would hear stories about people who they didn't want children or they were abusive towards their children, and then they would be given more children. And um, I started to feel bitter towards God because I didn't, like, it just seemed unfair. It, un- it seemed unfair that that was happening. And then I felt an intense amount of shame because I, like, I feared, and I know this is a lie, but I feared that God saw something so. Wrong and so broken and so bad inside of me, and he wanted to make sure that he was never going to reproduce that again. Um, I felt guilt because God had already, at the time, blessed us with our precious daughter, Eliana, through adoption. And even feeling any sadness over my infertility, just it felt like I was, betra- it was a betrayal of my love towards her. And then I struggled with um, the sin of jealousy. I was jealous of all of the families who had van loads of kids, and then on top of it, they get to experience the joy of adoption as well. Um, that was just a really hard time, and the thing about infertility is that you don't just grieve that pain one time. Each month, there is a new grief to, to work through and process through and go through.
0: Yeah, Now you talked yeah. about how it wasn't just the death of one dream, it was the death of two. And the second one's a little more sensitive for our relationship. That's right. <laughs> um, but do you mind talking about what that second thing was?
1: Yes. Yeah, so if that all that wasn't enough to break me at the time, um, I also like I I God saved me whenever I was in college, and um, He had called me to ministry, and my dream was to one day be on a church staff. And so at that time, I was serving as our kids minister, um, and and Josh was the pastor of the church we were serving. And um, kids ministry, that is not my gift. It is not my gift. And I can admit that and I was a bad fit for the role. Um, And so um, Josh had to do for me, I needed to step down and I didn't. And Josh had to do for me what I was not willing um, to do for myself and he had to let me go. Um, So I don't know how many of you have ever been fired by, by your spouse.
0: Let me just say this. I do not recommend it.
1: No, no, <laughs> I do not recommend no. it, yeah. It, that was a really hard time in, in the life of our family, and we had about six months that our, our house was not very pleasant, and we had to work through that. <laughs> um, I, I, part of it was because I, just, I felt like I was being rejected by God in my infertility, and then also rejected by my husband um, through having to, to be taken off of staff. Um, and now I'm able to look back at that time and Josh absolutely made the right decision. He led our family in wisdom and I'm so thankful that he did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Mm-hmm. But I, it was just a, time, a great time of hurt in yeah, my life.
0: Sure. Well. Babe, you're in that rare seat where you've kinda come through the brokenness and you can see how God used all that pain to produce a really unique blessing.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Can you talk about how we saw God do what he did?
1: Yeah, Um, I got to know in that season of my life um, God in a deeper way and and understand his character in ways that I would've never understood apart from hardship and I love that. I'm so glad that I know God Um, deeper now because of it. And then we have our two blessings, um, Eliana and Felicity, our daughters that God gave us through adoption and we're waiting to bring home our son Hudson through adoption too. That's
0: right. Yes.
1: (laughs) And and then I got to see God turn my greatest pain into my greatest ministry. Um, God gave me a ministry through it, uh, one that sought me out and I didn't seek it. And I got to see this happen as God would slowly bring um, woman after woman who wanted to talk through their infertility and um, I would get to encourage and point to Christ during that time. And then I got to see, women come wanting to hear more about the adoption process and knowing how to get started and, and what that looked like. And um, and then that grew to the point where I had too many people to meet with individually anymore. And so I just tossed it out there. Anyone who wants to come and hear more about adoption, come to our house at this, this, this night and we'll talk. And I had almost 30 women show up. And um, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, and then, awesome. During that that meant through that ministry, God birthed something in Josh.
0: Well, yeah. What happened was Jana's uh, ministry and the anointing that was really on her life for that ministry. It kind of it kind of worked its way up to me, and we ended up starting an initiative called No More Fatherless, and we uh, helped pay off the mortgage for a crisis pregnancy center, uh, and then we set up an adoption fund that helped a hundred families uh, adopt children that they wanted to adopt. And, uh, and then uh, that worked its way through the church that we were a part of at the time. By the time that we left, there was, there's always just been an anointing that followed anywhere Jana has been uh, for an explosion of adoption to happen. By the time that we left the place that we were, on any given Sunday, almost 10% of the children in the children's ministry were adopted children. And we think, now uh, I may find out that I'm wrong someday, we think that the ratio of adoption per capita in the church that we were in was the highest of any church in the United States, and uh, and so this initiative, it just yeah. It was, um,
1: yeah.
0: Um, And then that started spreading, No More Fatherless started spreading to other churches, church in Indianapolis and Phoenix and California. And so it's just kept going. We've seen everywhere that we've been, everywhere that Jana has been, there's just been a unique anointing wherever she's been for the adoption and and orphan care. Now, Jana, you had something Mm -hmm. really unique happen to you where God spoke to you and showed you some of what he had been doing and spoke a word to you for redemption. Can can you talk about sure. that?
1: During that time, um, it was hard for me to read the, the passages in the Bible where God would talk about the fruit of the womb being a blessing because I didn't know what that meant for me. And one day in my Bible reading plan, I get to Psalm 127 and I know what's coming and so I'm praying for God just to, to speak to me. And I read verse three, and it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And then that day, God spoke something special and unique, and he showed me that all the children that would be adopted through our ministry were the fruit of my womb. Mm -hmm. The the womb that I thought. Mm The womb that I thought was dead and unfruitful. God resurrected into a new ministry that would help adoptive parents bring home their children through adoption.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, yes.
1: Thank
0: you. <laughs> They're very encouraging.
1: They yeah. are, you guys are well, so good. Well, um,
0: babe, you're, you know, you've kinda come through the brokenness to the blessing. But both of us know when we were preparing for this week, we know that there's a lot of people here or maybe watching on the iCampus who you're still in a season of being broken. And you're wondering like, man, I don't understand what God is doing. Um, What words do you have for people who are in that spot right now of being broken? Yeah,
1: well, um, a while back, Josh and I were having um, a conversation in our kitchen and he was trying to encourage me and And he said, Jana, I think God has allowed this pain in your life. And I had to think about it for a minute. And The more I thought about it, um, I lovingly corrected Josh and I said, no, I, I think God chose me for this. Yeah. Um, people debate whether or not God allows pain or He causes pain and, and that I don't know. But what I do know is that God always uses pain. Mm. If you're in a season of being broken, choose to have a perspective of faith that God will use what is evil to bring about what is good. You may be in a season where you don't understand what He's doing and you feel like you are about to break. And I understand, I've been there. Um, But I encourage you, run towards Him and not away from Him. He, He can and He will bring you through it. Sometimes victory comes in ways you don't expect but you can trust Him to write your story for your good and His glory. And the only way I'm even able to share any of this with you is because God brought me through the breaking and I'm on the other side now. I am not angry, I'm not bitter, I am not jealous. I am no longer sad, not because I'm good, but because He is good and He is kind and He is faithful. God didn't choose to change my circumstances, but instead he chose to change me. Mm. You can't have a resurrection without first to death. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Um. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: Here's what we know, um, what we know is that some of you, you're in that spot right now. And uh, you feel like, man, I really feel like God is breaking me and I don't understand what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Can I just say a word to you? Um, You might be there and what you're trying to do is you're trying to hold it all together. How do I hold it together? You're trying really hard. Can I just give you an encouragement? Will you you just go ahead and fall apart? Will you just let yourself fall apart Mm -hmm. in his arms and trust him. Trust that he has the power to put you back together and give yourself to him. And uh, believe that. Believe that that mess will be your ministry, that there's purpose in that pain and that that trial is gonna be your testimony someday to the greatness of God. Um, So I want you to believe that. Now, real quick, I'm gonna ask you to do something that may seem a little uncomfortable for you and you don't have to do it, but I do believe that something solidifies in us spiritually when we respond physically. If you're in a season right now and Lake Point family at all of our campuses, even on our campus, I'm gonna ask you to look around here in a second so that you know who you need to pray for. Uh, if you're in a season of being broken right now and you need the power of God at work in your life, um, we wanna pray for you. But We wanna know who we're praying for. Would you just slip your hand up right now real high so that our church family knows who we're praying for? Real high, mm-hmm. real high. And Lake Point family, you're looking around right now knowing who you're praying for. All of our campuses, I campus everywhere. Look around. That's who we're gonna pray for right now. And, uh, and Jana, would you pray for the people in our church that are in that season? I would love to. Yeah.
1: Father, you are so good. You are so kind. You are so faithful. Father, your word tells us you are near to the brokenhearted. And I pray that you will draw especially near to those who are broken today and just feel like they are at the breaking point, Father. I pray that they will cling to you, run to you, and experience you in ways they could never experience you apart from their pain, Father. I pray that you will restore to them the joy of their salvation, and that they will see new things begin to happen. In their life and they will see how you are working all things out for good for the person who is questioning your love for them i pray that you remind them that your love was settled for them on the cross father i pray for the person who is hurting and and stuck in their pain but they have not sought you um, through salvation through jesus father i pray today they will run to you and they will receive salvation that you graciously offer and give generously through jesus father please please save them today please work in our hearts in our lives to give us hearts that love you and desire you and your will above all else father Um, please change us and make us more like jesus in his name we pray amen thank you
0: thanks for listening today for more biblical teaching and worship Join us for our Church Online Live Weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit Digital.